So we are in the Luke travel narrative, and if you look at the chiasm behind us on the board, where we were are signs of the present kingdom, which is Luke 11, 14 through 32, and we got started on signs of the coming kingdom, which is Luke 17, 11 through 37 last time. The idea in the present kingdom is when the kingdom is here, you have things like healings and demons cast out and that kind of thing, indicating that the kingdom of God is present. So in the future kingdom, we started off in Luke 17, 11, where Yeshua cleansed 10 lepers. And of the 10, only one came back to thank him. One of the things that is interesting about this, and we've had it in the parables, we've had it lots of places, is Yeshua plays off Samaritans against Jews. So you have, for example, the Good Samaritan, where you have the priest and the Levite pass by the guy that's in trouble and a Samaritan helps him out. Here you have only a Samaritan shows up to give praise after having been cleansed. And I think I probably mentioned last time as well that when Yeshua cleansed the ten, he says in verse 14, go and show yourselves to the priests. Because you, of course, remember from all your time in Torah, only a priest can make a determination that somebody is clean. So Yeshua does the physical healing, but then he goes back to Moses and does what Moses requires, which is sends these 10 guys to a priest to be declared clean so that they can be integrated back into the community. So one assumes that they're going to give the sacrifice and all of the stuff that they need in order to come back. As I say, I find it very interesting that all you've got here is a Samaritan coming back, and given the way that the Samaritans have played in the parables and so forth, I am sort of wondering if that's significant. Not that I doubt that it was, in fact, a Samaritan that came back, but the emphasis on that, given the trouble that Yeshua has with the temple hierarchy and so forth, I just find it very interesting. So anyway, I'm not sure quite what to make of it, other than Samaritans play significantly in all of the narratives, especially in contradistinction to the Jewish religious establishment. Comment was, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Leprosy laws had to do with the Jews. And so what's a Samaritan doing, A, having leprosy in the first place, and then B, getting sent to the priest in the second place? Good question, and there's an answer. The Samaritans, as I am sure you will remember, those of you who remember your history, were foreigners who were moved in to replace the Hebrews that were taken out by the Assyrians. So when the northern kingdom was sanded off in 700 and some odd B.C., the policy of the Assyrians, when they conquered a people, was to physically move them out to disconnect them from their land and their heritage to make them easier to control. 
So they physically moved them off, and then they would bring some other conquered people in. The way people in the Middle East, at least, regarded gods is there were lots of them, and that they were territorial. So when the Samaritans came in, the first thing they said was, okay, who are your local gods, and how do we worship them? In other words, since we're moving into this new area, who are the gods and what do we do to stay on the right side of them? And so what they did is they picked up Torah. So they, in fact, have the five books of Moses, and they regard the five books of Moses as being authoritative. So they had their own priesthood. All of the things required in the Torah, they set up. So they had a fully functioning Torah government, priesthood, everything. So a Samaritan, in that sense, would have had his own priest. And his priests, because they can read their copy of Leviticus, they would understand what's required to cleanse a leper. And the whole ritual would have been followed. They would have been doing it in Samaria. They had their own synagogues. Go back to verse 11. Something you said just maybe made me go, aha. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So he is clear up in the north. He's up by the Sea of Galilee, probably in the plain of Esdraela. So he's got these ten lepers. He cleanses all ten of them. The Samaritan has got a relatively short walk to get to his priest and get cleansed. The Jews have a much longer trek that they have to make in order to get to their priest at the temple and get cleansed. Yeshua makes the point that only the Samaritan returns, and he points that out in a disapproving way. So I'm not suggesting that anything we've said is incorrect, but what I am suggesting is it may have been the case that the Jews, having made a longer trip to get down to Jerusalem and get cleansed, may have said, we don't know where this itinerant rabbi is and he keeps moving and I'm not sure we can find him again. I mean, I can imagine all the rationalizations that you might go through in that process. Whereas, as I say, the Samaritan has got a reasonably short walk to get cleaned up and Yeshua is coming down past where the Samaritan would have been declared clean. So now we're all the way down to verse 20. And this, it will help to read with Matthew 24 and with Revelation 14. Both of those passages of Scripture bear on Luke 17, 20 and following. So verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here he is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And one of the things that he has been saying all along is repent, the kingdom of God is here. That's the first thing he says. So what he's saying is, just 
as he said back in Matthew 11, the things that I am doing are evidence that the kingdom of God is here. Now, verse 22, and he said to his disciples, notice we've changed audience. Verse 20 and 21, he's speaking to the Pharisees who are looking for a sign. Verse 22 is private to his own disciples. So the audience has changed. He said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go out to follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So what he's saying here is there are going to be attempts at deception. Don't believe them. When I come back, it is going to be obvious to the whole world and there will not be any doubt. So if you doubt whether or not somebody is telling you the truth, he isn't. I will take you now to Revelation 14. I'm down in verse 6. Now, this, by the way, is after the return of Yeshua. Beginning of chapter 14, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So he has touched down at this point. Verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Several things about that. First off, remember we read in Luke 17 that when he comes back, there isn't going to be any doubt. And what I'm suggesting to you, this is Johnnyology, but I think it's sound, or I wouldn't say it, is that angel flying overhead telling everybody is going to be the reason that there isn't going to be any doubt that he's back. One of the things that I personally believe is God love, Christian radio, missionaries, evangelists, all those kinds of people. And they all of them try and raise money by saying, we got to get the gospel to the whole world and then Yeshua will come. God bless them. I'm in favor of what they're doing and all that kind of stuff, but God is not going to depend on them to get the word out. When the time comes, God himself will make sure that there isn't anybody who can say, I didn't know. In my opinion, that's what this angel is doing. He's blanketing the whole earth. Verse 6 again. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. Those who dwell on the earth is a key phrase in Revelation. The earth dwellers are distinct and different from the followers of Yeshua. So if you read Revelation, whenever you see those who dwell on the earth are the earth dwellers, what he's talking about are those people who are not followers of Yeshua. They're everybody else. 
So the idea here is when Yeshua is back, what he's going to do is he's going to make sure that nobody on the face of the planet is going to be able to claim ignorance. It is my opinion that the 144,000's job is to get believers out of the way while God deals with the rest of the planet. Just as Moses got the children of Israel out of the way and moved them up to Goshen, while God then dealt with Egypt, I believe the 144,000 have the same mission because there are a thousand pairs to each of the nations that are separated from Noah. So that, in that case, is all humanity. That part is genealogy. That's just what I believe. One of the things that God does back in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, both, he says to Israel, when you guys start going off the rail, what's going to happen is I am going to make things difficult for you with the idea that you're going to turn and come back to me. And if you don't pay any attention, I will make them seven times more difficult. And if you still don't pay any attention, I'll make them seven times more difficult yet. So the idea is God uses natural things. I mean, he causes them to happen. And the purpose of them is to cause people to repent and turn to him. So you have in Revelation up to this point, the seals and the trumpets, those kinds of things have been happening to people on the earth, and the purpose of them has been to get people's attention and turn them to God. That's the reason that they're done that way. So what happens is, as we read in earlier parts of Revelation, they shake their fist and they curse God and they don't turn. Okay, so fine. Now, Yeshua's here. He's about to take charge. He's about to become king over the place. We're about to start the thousand-year reign. Last warning, making sure nobody has any excuse of ignorance. You, know, you may have been off in the jungle somewhere and never heard of Christian evangelist. This is your last chance to come to God because the door's closed. So that's what this is. Back to Luke. When Yeshua is speaking privately to his disciples, what he says is, you're going to have all sorts of false prophets, false messiahs, rumors, all that kind of stuff is going to happen. Do not be deceived. When I come back, there will be no doubt. And my personal opinion is the mechanism of no doubt is when that angel reads the gospel over the whole world. Having said that, full stop. It may also have to do with 144,000. As I say, my personal belief of what their job is, is to gather up God's people, get them out of the way, so that when God starts dealing with the rest of the world, they are not affected, much like Moses did moving the Israelites to Goshen to get them out of Egypt so that he could deal with the Egyptians. The question that you have to ask, or I ask, and you can ask with me if you like, is how do these guys authenticate themselves? You got a thousand pairs that go to every biblical nation. You got these guys wandering around in hair shirts, and they're saying, Come with me, come with me. 
Why would you believe them as opposed to some nut walking through Denver? It's a cliche. I will give you a guess. The 144,000 had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. One of the things that we have, you remember, is the mark of the beast. And that's on the forehead. And I think on the wrist or the arm. The mark of the beast is a counterfeit for the mark of the 144,000. So the idea of the mark of the beast it is to convince you that they are doing what the 144,000 are supposed to do. But both the 144,000 and those who follow the beast are marked. I'm assuming it's a different mark. I have heard people speculate. This is not scripture. It is Bible teachers I've heard speculate. So take it in that spirit. That one of the things that they will be able to do is the kind of things that Moses was able to do. Remember, Moses had to authenticate himself to the children of Israel. And so God gave him signs. Sticking your hand inside your blouse and bringing it out leprous and sticking it back in and bringing it out healed. Throwing your staff down, having it turn into a snake and picking it up and having it turn back into a staff. So God gave Moses a set of signs that he could show Israel so Israel would recognize that, yeah, this is the real deal. This is a real guy. He is really coming from God, and we should pay attention to him. Bible teachers that I have heard, and it's not scriptural, are of the opinion that the 144,000 will also have similar authenticating signs. God says that if possible, they would fool even the elect, which indicates that people who are following Yeshua will not be fooled. How that's going to work, I have no idea. So we're back in Luke. Let's pick it up in verse 24 and get a run into 25. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Let's go to Matthew 24 and read it in a slightly different version. 27 is, For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. That's the seventh trumpet, and that's also the announcement of this angel. 
Verse 32, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And this generation is ambiguous. Obviously, it doesn't mean the generation listening to him. It means this generation, which is the generation that is existing when that stuff happens. 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And here we go. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men shall be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known on what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then we're going to go into preparation and staying busy at what he gave you to do. One of the things that was a popular book, oh, I would guess, what, 10 or 15 years ago, the Left Behind series? And what isn't clear is whether you want to be left behind or taken. From the language here, you could read it as the folks with Noah were the ones that were taken, and the ones that were on the earth were left behind, and the flood took them out. I mean, that's certainly a legitimate reading of it. But then you have two men in the field, one taken and one left. It isn't clear which one is good. And you have this business of places full of bodies where the vultures feed. So I don't know. Actually, a couple of points. The idea of not going in and taking your garment and so forth that's back up here in Matthew 24, starting in 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let no one who is in the field turn back to take his cloak. In other words, when you see it, beat feet. Don't mess with it. This appears to be one of those things that will have a dual fulfillment because according to the early church fathers, Eusebius and so forth, this happened in 70 AD. The Christians in Jerusalem fled to Pelt and so were not taken out by the Roman destruction of Jerusalem. This is according to Wikipedia, which is the best source there is. And some scholar in 1950s cast doubt on that. I have no idea how valid the doubt casting is. And one of the things that happened is the Romans did desecrate the temple. So when they saw that, they all got out of there. And as I say, missed the siege of Jerusalem because once the siege closed around it, nobody went in or out. The other thing is we know from Daniel 
that the temple will be rebuilt and sacrifices will resume. As you all know, because you pay attention to this stuff, the Israelites can have a temple and an altar up in 20 minutes if they could get the government out of their way. So the idea of sacrifices starting up and all that kind of stuff is clear in Daniel. And then Daniel also says that it's going to be operational for three and a half years. And then the Antichrist is going to do a treaty and he is going to set up a statue of himself in the temple and demand worship. In other words, he's going to claim that he's Yeshua. That will also be an abomination of desolation. Abomination of desolation is a technical term. You all remember the Maccabees. In the Maccabees, what happened is a Greek king, Antiochus Epiphanes, defiled the altar. So the temple was not usable because it had been defiled and made desolate. That's going to happen again. They're going to make a temple, everything's going to be rocking and rolling, and then the temple will be desecrated and made desolate. There will be an abomination there that will make the temple unusable. And what it says is when you see that happening, get out. So what I'm suggesting to you is there's probably at least two fulfillments of that prophecy. So I'm down to Luke 30 or 31. So pick it up at 30. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And he said to them, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Now, that's what I regard as ambiguous. Some of your translation may say eagles. I could see it reading as the ones who are taken are dumped somewhere where there'll be vulture chow. The thing about vultures is vultures are carrion eaters. Vultures are not hunters. So the idea of vultures feeding on corpses indicates that something has turned them into corpses. So this idea of two people, one taken and the other left, I don't have any idea what that means. Whether the ones left are killed and become vulture food, or whether the ones taken are taken somewhere where they get turned into vulture chow. I just don't know the answer to that. And as I say, the Left Behind series, which was very popular, the pre-trib rapture set of books, I'm not a pre-trib rapture guy, goes to places like this and says that the ones who are taken are the ones that are sucked up into the overhead and are with Yeshua, and the ones left behind are the ones who become vulture food. Could be true, I don't know. The other thing I want to 
call your attention to is back in verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Ding, 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 ding. What was Lot's wife's problem? She didn't want to leave. She was the lady's auxiliary and she was queen of the May, whatever it was. She had a life there in Sodom that she didn't want to leave. So what I'm suggesting to you is whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Lot's wife was trying to preserve her life. In other words, she was trying to preserve the life that she enjoyed while she was living in Sodom. So I don't read Greek, uh, don't pretend to, so I'm not sure whether the Greek is more clear But the combination of remember Lot's wife and what she wanted to do was preserve her life in Sodom. And what she did was she lost her life instead. So anyway, that's my take on Luke 17. You sort of have to go all over the place in order to pull it all together. And it's entirely possible that I have mispulled In other words, there have been lots of really good Bible scholars that spend a lot of time on this and come to different conclusions.